Home is where you feel safe. For me, home is a uh, family, number one. Uh, my parents, let me be specific. Home is uh, a sense of belonging to a land, a country, uh, to people, to community. Home is where I feel safe, loved, and cared for. Hi, and welcome to Hometown, your weekly Lent and Easter podcast on refugee welcome in the Episcopal Church and across the United States. I'm Allison Duval, And I'm Kendall Martin. You know what, Kendall? I just realized we've said Lent and Easter podcast, but this episode's coming out during the season after Pentecost. So listeners, welcome to episode 15, your season after Pentecost <laughs> episode. <laughs> Hometown is a podcast from Episcopal Migration Ministries, the Refugee Resettlement and Welcome Ministry of the Episcopal Church. Learn more about our work on our website, EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org, and Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are EMM Refugees. This podcast is part of the Good Book Club Initiative, which invited all Episcopalians to come together to read Luke and Acts throughout Lent and Easter 2018. You can go back and find all the daily readings, resources, and much more about the Good Book Club at their website, goodbookclub.org, and you can find them on Facebook, The Good Book Club, and keep following them because it's going to come back next liturgical year. And wow, listeners, so this is our last episode. Uh, I'm so sad. Right? (laughs) I'm so sad. Um, But we, you know, this is our last episode and what we hope is the first season of many more to come. This week's Good Book Club readings wrap up our journey through the Acts of the Apostles, and we're now in the season after Pentecost. We read together Acts 27, 13 through 28, 44. You know, Kendall, while the last chapters of Acts are something of an action-packed travelogue of St. Paul, as Canon Michael Bartlett said last week in his reflection. I found myself this week reading the passage and looking at it all as a metaphor. So Paul is just shipwrecked, but I'm reading it and thinking about how the past several years for folks in refugee resettlement ministry and for folks we've welcomed to this country, awaiting family members to join them has just been, it's felt like being on a small ship at sea, kind of being violently thrown around Mm. and not knowing when we're going to reach safe harbor. I think, you know, folks who are caught in, in situations where they've been forcibly displaced and they're just trying to find a place to be able to be safe um, and still and even restart their life somewhere. I just was thinking as I was reading this that that must also be how it feels to them, that you just never know when the storm is going to stop and you never know when you're going to be able to drop your anchor. Mm-hmm. I like that imagery. The thing I love about Letizia's book and how she frames it is basically saying, you know, even if you've not been a refugee, we've all been at some place in our lives where we've been searching for home and living through our own our own form of chaos or trauma or struggle and trying to kind of weather the storm and come safely to shore. Kendall, I remember a few weeks ago after we had recorded our interview with Letizia Mizero Hellerud, who listeners you'll get to meet today. Um, she's originally from Burundi, and so you wrote me this email 
excited that you you'd gone back and you'd found some writing that you did when you visited Burundi years ago. And I'm thinking about that right now because I think it connects to this sense of finding safe harbor and finding home. Could you could you read what you found and what you emailed to me a few weeks ago? Yeah, absolutely. Every person, no matter how little they had, went out of their way to offer food, drink, and a place to rest. Our only connection in these villages and with these priests or bishops was our shared connection in the church. Each time I left a meal, a meeting, or a warm hug from a new friend, I felt that I had found another home. That generosity of spirit and grace-filled response to the stranger is who we are called to be. It is in that warm embrace that we come to see and know God. I left those moments of connection with a newfound understanding of what it really means to welcome the stranger in our midst. I love that. So can you talk talk a little bit about your experience in Burundi and what was what that was like to be welcomed and to feel like they were making a place of home for you? Well, that's the thing. Every, every single person that I encountered, whether it was in a church situation or going into somebody's home, they didn't treat me as though I was a stranger. They were just meeting for the first time. They were, they treated me as though I were their family, as though we already knew one another, as though we were already intimately connected in some way. And so there was this just like generosity and graciousness and familiarity um, that was new to me that I hadn't really encountered in meeting strangers before and so I was welcomed into their home and in meeting their family as though I would immediately be a part of their family as though if I were to come back and see them again it would we wouldn't be strangers you know we would we were going to be connected to one another mm-hmm. indefinitely um, which was a very new kind of feeling for me and very much the way that I think about home, right? Because you can be gone from your home for years. Um, you can have, you know, your extended family, you might see them. I have no, I have extended family. I see maybe, you know, once every five or six years, but every time you're together, there's still that, that feeling of home, that feeling of connection that you really only have with those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was something really beautiful and powerful about the way that I was treated during my time there that had that sense of home to it um, and that they wanted me to feel really comfortable and loved and welcomed and I don't know I did like that for me was just such a has really carried over into the way that I feel about this work and about why it's so monumentally important that we are welcoming refugees that we are giving them a feeling of being like radically welcomed and loved like because there's just nothing like it like you just there's nothing comparable to that feeling of having somebody welcome you into their community and say like we want you here and you matter and you're a child of god and like we are all connected we are all in this together For this, our final episode of the first of hopefully many seasons, we're bringing you a special interview. We're honored to introduce you today to Letizia Mizero Hellerud, an author, activist, teacher, learner, and so much more. 
Letizia is the author of Being at Home in the World, Cross-Cultural Leadership Lessons to Guide Your Journey, and it really is a lovely and inspiring book, and I highly recommend that you read it. It has just so many great points and lessons about how connected we all are and how really it comes down to love. Mm-hmm. And listeners, I'm reading now from the book jacket of Being at Home in the World. As a four-time refugee, resilience and adaptation have become a way of life for Letizia Mazzaro Hellerud. Having to adapt to this way of thinking since childhood, she learned to rely on her own decisions and at the same time accept the love and help of others to survive. In her book, Letizia shares what she has learned about adaptation, about finding your home in the midst of chaos and struggle. It begins with an open mind and an open heart. I just think that's such a beautiful, it's such a perfect way to describe the book. Um, And it was fun, Kendall, to read a book together. It was like our own little book club. (laughs) No, it really was. And I think we both uh, underlined and highlighted many parts (laughs) of her book. And and it really was a great story for us to read to end this first season together. I mean, her story really does speak to a lot of the experiences and the struggles and, you know, the triumph and the joy also that Mm. we see that many people share who have been displaced and who have been resettled. Yeah. And I think what's also beautiful about what she does in the book is that she she says and she speaks about how, you know, refugees do have a particular, um, displaced people have a particular and very difficult experience, but they're not that much different from the rest of us. You know, we all only have our own frame of reference from which to draw life lessons. And she so beautifully draws these powerful life lessons from the amazing life she's led. She's just, she's just an inspiration. Absolutely. And in the blog post that we released with this final episode, we will include links to Letizia's website and her book page on Amazon. So without further ado, we hope you enjoy our conversation with Letizia. Listeners, we are so excited today to welcome to the podcast Letizia Mazzaro Hellerud. Letizia considers herself a seeker, a teacher, a learner, a social justice activist, and a strong advocate for community involvement, service, and inclusion. Letizia was educated both in Burundi and the U.S. She has lived and traveled extensively in several countries in Africa, North America, and Europe, and she is fluent in multiple languages. Letizia makes Fargo, North Dakota her home, where she lives with her husband, Mark. Her daughter, Nicole, is an actress, musician, and international traveler for academic pursuits. Her son, Jan, is an NDSU graduate and global business entrepreneur. And Letizia is the author of the book, Being at Home in the World, Cross-Cultural Leadership Lessons to Guide Your Journey. Letizia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. We're so grateful for your time today. And we've been so excited to speak with you, Letizia. We, once we you know, reconnected with you and um, read your book, we were just thrilled um, at your interest in having this conversation with us. The podcast is called Hometown, and so the title of your book is just perfect, um, speaking to finding home and creating home um, in any place that you've been in the world. When, when you open, you, you speak in the book quite a bit about your childhood, and you paint these vivid pictures for your readers about your growing up in Burundi, about your grandparents, 
about the culture. I, I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your childhood in Burundi and kind of paint that picture for them. Um, so, well, I grew up in uh, cities most of the time. My father was employed outside the home and my mom was uh, a business owner. And uh, so I grew up with, uh, in, in a family with um, modern amenities. Mm. But, you know, all my summers were spent at uh, my grandparents. And um, not all of it. Summer, um, uh, summer breaks were two months long. And uh, at least one month were, was spent at uh, my grandparents, and it was almost uh, like a, a, a practice that all my uncles and aunts who lived in cities did with their children. So they would send all of us cousins uh, back to, um, you know, the, in the hills or in the countryside of Burundi, mm. and we would uh, uh, spend um, the month or so uh, just living like uh, our other cousins who grew up uh, in the countryside. And it was important for them, first of all, because they wanted us to get to know each other, you know, cousins and, um, you know, um, develop that bond and uh, get to know the extended family. But it was also special and important for uh, my family because they wanted us to have also that, uh, um, uh, you know, that well-rounded upbringing and really, um, really soaking into the traditions and the culture, um, the Burundian culture, and learning from uh, our grandparents and, and my older uncles and, uh, you know, aunts. So that, that was very, very um, unique, and it was a time that we all, us cousins, were always looking forward to. Um, we felt like um, the time went... Uh, so fast, actually, felt like uh, we didn't even care about time. Uh, we uh, played, and uh, you know, as we grew older, also worked, you know, some in uh, in the um, the family farms. We fetched water, we fetched woods, and uh, and it was actually fun for us to do because it was not as much of uh, like a a chore uh, or chores for us. Um, like uh, like the other cousins who did this every day for us it was almost like an exotic so mm. it was it, um, so in the uh, in, there was the, you know in the book I talk about the simplicity of living in that kind of environment where you have much where even the furniture the houses everything is so modest but there was such like a tremendous joy there was like we were just happy. And, and it was not based on anything else other than having each other and, you know, being together. And, uh, and also the routine, the routine was very different from uh, our city life. Like in the evenings, we would be congregating around the fireplace, mostly at, in uh, my uh, grandma and grandpa's, uh, you know, house, little hut, you know, before they built more modern house. And, and it would be like crowded and it would be warm, you know, you know, because of the fireplace, of course. But it was also warm because of the people around that fire. And we would be either singing or, or you know, listening to an elder, elder person uh, tell us a story. Or, and, or we would be just um, like, um, like uh, telling each other riddles and usually... The older people, um, like the older cousins or the older like the aunts or cousins, would be taking the lead on that. And it was so organic; nothing was planned. It, it everything would just happen. 
you know, like that. It was, if it's night, it can be playing outside. And the cattle would be, you know, outside anyway, the, the cows and the goats and the sheep would also usually be in, indoors, but um, the, the cows would be outside and, and, and usually kids don't like to be outside in the dark. So it was a natural thing. Nobody would come and say, hey, time to come in. We just knew and we knew where to go. So and that's, that, that, that's what I talk about, the simplicity and, and just the love and you know, joy filled the moment that uh, nothing can buy, nothing, you know, that, you know, and nothing that are also very hard to replicate. Letizia, what I love so much about, about what you just shared about your childhood, but also about reading about your childhood was that in many ways, I could see my own childhood kind of being described. I, every summer would go to spend time with my grandparents who lived in a rural place um, and actually in Minnesota. So I know that your home in Burundi and your home in Fargo mm. are quite different, but your Fargo <laughs> connection close to Minnesota, um, I just felt like it was a, I felt a connection with you as you told your story about your childhood. So thank you for that. That's great because I didn't know you were um, raised here in the Midwest. So that's, that's yeah, no, I had no idea. That's yeah, I was, I was born in Minnesota. So yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. How about you, Kendall? Where were you born? I was born in North Carolina, um, but I've spent the majority of my childhood, all my growing up years in Virginia. All right. Um, okay. And I, I also definitely related to stories of going to spend time with my grandparents. Those were my most favorite memories and moments of my childhood. Yeah. You know, I do talk a lot um, about the interconnectedness of people and culture. And, uh, and, you know, that kind of connection I hope, um, you know, like when you read a book that was written um, by someone who seemingly has a completely different background than you, you, and yet you find yourself in their story. I think that's powerful. And that's what I, I love so much about reading, reading your book, Letizia, was that there were so many moments. My, my copy of the book has little, it, it's got marks in it. It's, <laughs> I've got little, little post-it notes to remind me of places that I, I just loved. Um, and I think Kendall will um, will ask you about your experience coming to the U.S. and being a mother. But just little moments and stories from your your time here, and I, I just I just found myself laughing and smiling as I read your stories because I think they are universal. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Yeah. So yeah. you know, there were a lot of different elements in your book where I felt really connected to you, um, and one of them was the way that you spoke to the theme of motherhood and both your relationship and your interpretation of your own mother, um, but also your experiences mothering um, three of your siblings when you left Burundi and then also mothering your own children. And I think because you, you speak to so many wise lessons about what we can take out of life and how we can live a really full life that I'd love to hear what like great life lessons or takeaways that you have from mothering both your siblings, but also your children. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for a long time, and, and I hope uh, many uh, mothers or many parents can also connect with this. When you feel awkward and not feeling like you are good enough, you are doing you know, what you're supposed to do, it's almost like you are you know, uh, building your wings as you fly. Right. So there were so many you know, like, uh, humbling moments. There were so many moments when I felt like, oh my gosh, can I you know, push like a, a redo or, you know, a rewind type of a button and then go back and, you know, maybe improve on something. But life is not, you know, 
life is, is not, uh, we don't have a, a rewind button in life. So um, the, the biggest challenge that I had was uh, to try to guide my siblings and my children in a culture that I was also trying to figure out, you know, because it's not like they're going to wait, you know, they keep going up, they keep, you know, exploring and you're trying to minimize, you know, like the, the bumps, you know, that they run into. And so it's, it's quite um, humbling, but it, it was also, it was, um, I felt better when I started like just embracing what I wanted to, to keep from uh, my dominant culture, you know, Burundi or Burundian culture um, and, not, and feeling like, you know what, it's okay if I don't figure out, you know, uh, everything right away. Um, I'm going to just do what I know uh, was helpful growing up, what I know, um, what I learned from my mother, what I saw, watched, uh, you know, observed from my mother and then, uh, or in our own family. And then as, I, as we go, I will also pick up uh, new elements from this culture that can enhance hopefully a, a, a unique blend that uh, my family um, can create. So that was liberating to be at that place where you feel like it's okay if I'm not perfect. It's okay if I don't know exactly what I'm doing. It's okay if some things don't um, make sense, you know, uh, like some uh, things from my culture would not be helpful in this culture. And, uh, and uh, you know, what is important is that I can trust, uh, you know, uh, some of the values that I uh, grew up with, like faith, like my spirituality. I could uh, trust that, you know, there is some goodness uh, in the humanity uh, that I can lean on. And I could also, uh, you know, trust that my intentions were to guide these kids or these, uh, you know, teenagers. And my intentions were really coming from a very good place even though um, the, implementation, the implementation was uh, sometimes uh, bumpy. So um, that, that's what I can share about parenting my, you know, my kids and my siblings. And, and you know, like today, my 17-year-old uh, uh, sees a mother who's really integrated and, yes, who sometimes still asks questions, you know, you know, like uh, yesterday she was ordering, you know, flowers for not like corsage. Is it how you call it? Like, uh, oh, for, for, for her Corsage, yeah. yeah. So, so, so it's like, okay, really? Okay. And then, you know, even knowing who buys what, who does what, because, yes, I have had uh, experience with prom, many proms for that matter. With one, <laughs> one, two, it was so popular, I guess, you know? Yeah. But, but, you know, like going through the same experience of prom with a, a, with a daughter, that's a completely other experience. It's a new experience. Yeah, so um, that's, that's, uh, that's what I can say about motherhood, I guess. Well, and I loved reading. I, I'm smiling right now listening to you talk about your daughter preparing to go to prom, but I also loved reading your stories about learning about the, the funny part of American culture that American teenagers go to prom because I was born here, my parents were born here, but my mother still finds prom to be a silly, <laughs> silly thing. <laughs> I think that's reasonable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's again, you know, again, certain things, you know, even though it, it's an American tradition, it's, it's part of the culture, but I'm sure, you know, some parents would not be unhappy if it didn't exist. You know, again, it's still another, you know, you know what I mean? It's almost like, you know, first it's expensive, 
we can create memories, other memories in a less expensive way. And sometimes also I worry about, uh, you know, keeping all these, you know, kids or young, young, young uh, men and young women outside, uh, you know, for a long time and, mm-hmm. and, you know, the group dynamic. So of course, you know, the protecting mother is always going to worry a little bit or maybe, you know, worry a lot, you know, about, uh, about that special night. So, but they, they, it's something that kids here or youngsters are always looking forward to. So as a mom, I guess I have to kind of uh, learn ways to be part of it and, uh, and um, you know, hopefully prepare them to make good choices like every day, right? Yeah, and, uh, and pray for them. And that really um, makes me think of, you know, one of the first stories in your book that really just kind of shook me to my core, honestly, and um, mm-hmm. painted a picture and I, I could feel the silence um, of you being a child and, and fleeing with your brother and your mother and um, that, you know, the imagery of your mother, her arm wrapped around mm-hmm. you and the silence and the, the stoicism of holding it together for you. And, and there's so many really moving stories in your book that really illustrate your points about always choosing love and how, how that can really radically change your life and impact your life and the way that you live it. And, um, the role that stories play in passing down traditions and your culture. Um, and on, on an, another point, the way the role of stories in changing bias, and you know that's something that at EMM we really try to teach folks to do is to tell stories and to lift up the stories of refugees. And so I'm, I'd love for you to speak to, you know, the value that you place on stories. I think um, stories are very important. You know, um, sometimes uh, even you know if you go back to uh, college or school days. And when you think about some of the lessons that uh, that uh, you were even captiva- captivated with, you might not remember the details, but there are some stories that will always stick with you. Um, you know, we, whether it's like a, a professor or a teacher or, you know, it's something about that person or something think about how they uh, presented their um, content to you. Uh, so I feel like, uh, I, you know, our brain is... Um, um, how can I say, it? equipped to remember stories and stories impact us in a, in a way that um, is beyond, you know, everything else. Because um, we have some, you know, life is uh, about many, many stories with the, um, together. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, when we share our stories, we connect at uh, a higher level with others. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many um, points of intersections, I guess, and, uh, and, and it's, it's almost like, okay, when you start, how many times you start take, talking about uh, a story that something about your life and someone will say, me too. Oh yeah, that happened to me too. Oh wow. Yeah, I really remember having this kind of experience. So, and sometimes whether it's sad, whether it's, uh, it's uh, positive, there is always that interjection of like, a, that happened to me as well, or my uncle or my aunt or you know, my brother. So it's uh, like, I'm always looking for those connections or those uh, intersections, you know, that happen when we tell stories. And when it comes to uh, refugees or immigrants uh, and, and like uh, mainstream America or receiving communities, I think it's important 
to go back again to that storytelling and again share about our journey, um, like our journeys, yeah, because again, many times, especially in the United States, you will hear someone who says, oh, you know, I heard so similar stories, you know, from my great grandma or my grandma, you know, about, you know, like coming to the United States. And, you know, the details might be different, but, you know, the emotions, you know, are usually um, very comparable, whether it was fear, whether it was excitement or doubt, all those kind of things. I think that, uh, that it's important to share the stories in a way that, I don't know, highlights our um, shared humanity, I guess. What I love so much about your book is that you talk about how when you peel back all the layers of things that we think make us different from one another, people are really so much alike. Yes. I think it's funny that we waste so much time on the little superficial differences in us, in, you know, like human beings. Because, you know, usually it's the color, it's, um, you know, the, the face, you know, like things that are um, color meaning like skin color. It's mm-hmm. like very small things at the core when you think about, you know, the values, what, you know, what we really um, want for our families or what, uh, you know, the dreams that we have, all those kind of things. You know, I think that's what is more important um, because even... Even even if uh, we are we have like a different um, faith or religion, uh, usually there, is, there are threads uh, that are very similar. It's just like a, the the process or how we live that faith that uh, you know how we implement it that might be a little bit different, like in terms of uh, practices or or traditions. But you know at the core, it's always about love. It's about humanity. It's about uh, you know, friendships. It's about, you know, taking care of uh, uh, your neighbors or looking after, uh, you know, someone who's uh, sick or weak, you know, you know, all those kind of, I, I find so many things, like the biggest things, you know, the biggest concepts are the same. And yet we waste uh, so much time, at, um, uh, you know, on the superficial, I guess. But one way that you seem to cut through, you know, cut through all that, cut through the noise, and get to the the heart of the matter is obviously use storytelling as a practice of leadership and a field in which you've been long been a leader has been in the field of welcoming refugees. So I wonder if you mm-hmm. could talk a little bit about your own experience of being welcomed and for our listeners who care deeply about refugee resettlement and welcoming their new neighbors, how can we do it well? So it was uh, uh, actually very helpful for me to find uh, mentors, to find uh, professionals and neighbors who showed me the way or helped me, you know, find my way in Fargo uh, and in other communities where I've lived. But, you know, I've lived in Fargo the longest, I guess. So that's uh, Fargo, North Dakota. That's uh, that's where, uh, I guess, most of my examples are coming from. But it was, uh, you know, from... The way the social services providers um, uh, worked with me, the way they approached me, you know, like uh, not necessarily talking at me, but, you know, being with me on the journey, uh, understanding that, yes, I might need help, but it's uh, temporary. I want somebody to see me and to see me for what I'm worth and, and to guide me and show me my new community. 
but not necessarily feel like, like I'm a child that needs to be, you know, like a mm-hmm. talk to as a child, which, you know, which I've uh, seen with some of the providers. So where it's like, this is, this is the way, do it and that's it. And you have zero room for input. You have zero room to even make a connection. And, and you know, so it's almost like a, um, you remember those people who made you feel like, you know what, you, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. This is, uh, you know, I remember uh, like people sharing stories of their own experience moving to this community, not necessarily from another country and not necessarily because they were forced, being welcomed uh, in Fargo. Those who were uh, the most helpful are the people who saw me as, uh, as an equal, who need a little bit of help, maybe because she's new in the community, maybe because... Um, she doesn't speak um, English well yet, uh, maybe because she's overwhelmed by motherhood or, you know, those kind of things. But not necessarily seeing me as, uh, as, a, as a child who needs, you know, help because they are incapacitated or because they are unable to do, to do what they are supposed to do. So I, 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 I really value those people who were able to see me, you know, as who I am, because the situation, there is, you know, the situation, the fact that I was, um, you know, relocating to a new community and uh, in that anyone might feel uncomfortable when even though you might be from uh, another state and in the same, you know, in the U.S. and moving to a new community is always, uh, there is a moment of awkwardness. Uh, For refugees, it's a little bit more, uh, complex because uh, it's a completely new culture as well. It's uh, there might be a language component, there might be a transportation, you know, the transportation barriers, might be a family that's a little bit bigger than the average. But uh, everyone comes with a potential and eagerness to join in the community and be a part of the community. I think it's uh, it's important to if we want to to be helpful, it's important to walk side by side with the newcomer and uh, reach um, them where they are uh, and reinforce um, their value and their worth as as they are uh, going through this transition. That's wonderful. And that's certainly what what we hope to share with our listeners. So thank you so much for for that wisdom. You're welcome. So I'd love to ask what it is that you really want people to take away from your book, Being at Home in the World. In, uh, in the book, I talk about uh, lessons that I uh, learned from living in four different uh, countries, uh, diff- four different cultures. You know, uh, as a child in France and uh, as a teenager in Rwanda and in Burundi, and uh, and then as a young mother and professional in the United States. So in the uh, you, the the biggest lesson is um, to understand our uh, shared humanity, regardless of um, the differences that we tend to emphasize, and also um, to also understand that we can learn from each other. You know, there is a give and take when it comes to someone who might be new to this community, um, you can teach them something and you can learn something from them. So if I were to uh, pick uh, five themes from uh, the book, it would be uh, leadership, um, humanity, community, faith, and spirituality. And and the lessons that uh, end each chapter, 
really are uh, built on those themes. The same is the stories that are uh, shared in the book and uh, I guess my uh, thoughts on uh, many, many things in life. Wonderful. It's it's a beautiful book. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And what kind of legacy they want to leave and, and what do they need to do to start life? Well, honored to be able to share it with our listeners. Thank you for allowing me to share about this book and my journey. Well, Letizia, thank you so much for being a guest on the Hometown Podcast. And while this is our last episode in our first season, we do hope to have future seasons. And if and when we do, we'd love to have you back on to speak with us again. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I would love to be a guest again. Uh, Thank you so much. This was uh, uh, wonderful. Yes, thank you. And could you tell our listeners where they can find your book, Being at Home in the World? So uh, Being at Home in the World can be found um, uh, on Amazon.com. And uh, you can also find it on my uh, website, LeticiaHerald.com. There is a link. You can uh, buy it directly from there. And if you are in uh, um, the Fargo, Moorhead, uh, you know, West Fargo area, uh, you can find my book at most uh, gift stores. Wonderful. Lovely. And listeners will make sure to put a link to Letizia's website and her book on our blog that goes out with this episode. Thank you. Listeners, I feel kind of emotional <laughs> about this. Thank you for joining us for this episode. And thank you so much for being on this journey during our first podcast season. Absolutely. And please remember, World Refugee Day is coming up on June 20th. This is an important day to celebrate the strength and resilience and contributions of refugees to communities all over the world and for us to deepen our commitment to the work of welcome and refugee resettlement. This year, we're putting out a number of resources. You can find them at Episcopal Migration migrationministries.org forward slash world refugee day and the page is now live and we hope that you check it out and listeners we invite you to prayerfully support episcopal migration ministries with a donation remember no gift is too small and all are put to use to welcome our newest neighbors you can visit episcopal migrationministries.org forward slash give or text hometown to 91999 our theme song was composed and recorded by abraham mawinda ikondo Find his music at abrahamawindamusic.com. Make sure to stay subscribed to Hometown because we will have a few teaser episodes coming your way sometime in the next couple months. And please continue to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter where we are EMM Refugees. This feels so momentous. All right, (laughs) let's do this together, Allison. Okay, ready? Yes. Until next season, listeners, peace be with you and all those you consider home. Central Kentucky, sipping on some chai tea